Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. Welcome back to our podcast and our special summer series that has just been a joy to do, Women in Ministry. I have a fantastic guest for you today, but before we get to that, I want to start out, as always, with our prayer attributed to St. Francis. So the Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. When there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Well, today, listeners, a friend of mine is joining us. Well, all, all of the women in ministry have been friends, which has been some of the fun part of this. But a friend of mine um, from the Diocese of North Carolina, when we both served there, is joining us, the Reverend Dr. Sarah Reith. And Sarah and I got to know each other when we served in the same town, Southern Pines, North Carolina. I was at Emanuel Episcopal Church. And Sarah was the chaplain at Penick Village, which is a retirement village. And we worked together a lot. Um, And it was wonderful to have a colleague that I wasn't working with in the parish, but was also an Episcopal priest. And we just enjoyed each other so much. And now you live all the way up in New York, far away from me. And so I wanted this to be a time to catch up. And learn about your life. So welcome, Sarah. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much, Mary Balfour. And it's wonderful to be here. And, oh, it refreshes my soul to see you and to talk with you again. Thank you. Currently, you're... Oh, thank you. And, yeah, you know, I feel the same about you. Now, currently, Sarah, you are serving as priest associate at St. Paul's Cathedral in Buffalo, New York, and you specifically work with justice ministries and outreach, which if you know Sarah, this is right up her alley. So I'm so thrilled for you. But Sarah, you have been an ordained priest or ordained clergy person in the Episcopal Church for 45 years. That's amazing. Um, and it's honestly, you're honestly one of the only female priests that I know that have been ordained for that amount of time. And I have learned, you've experienced so much and learned so much, I'm sure in that time. And I'm just here to lift your voice up and let us learn from you. Um, you told me that you grew up Presbyterian. So tell us a little bit about how you found the Episcopal Church And then tell us a little bit about your call 
to ordain ministry. Thank you, Mary Bell, for um, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church in downtown Buffalo and learned to love Jesus there. I learned um, on my little sit upon in kindergarten church to sing Jesus loves me this I know and uh, that was truly not sentimental but really formative for me Mm. so I really came to love Jesus when I was growing up there and yet I did not find the worship um, meaningful for me and in the way that I needed and when I went to, well, I told, here, this, here's the story. I, I went to the pastor and said, I want to be uh, confirmed, which you had to be 14. And I was 12. And he said, no, you can't, you have to be 14. I said, but I already gave my life to Jesus. And he said, well, you can't do that till you're 14. <laughs> so You're like, what? That makes no sense to me. I've already exactly. given my life to Jesus. Exactly. And so I... Gave my continued to give my life to Jesus and left the church, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and talked to uh, my friend Pat in French class, and he was a member of the Episcopal Church here in my hometown. And he said, "Well, why don't you come to church with me sometime?" And I just I found what my soul was needing in the worship of the Episcopal Church. This was 1928 Prayer Book Episcopal Church. Um, well, you know, Sarah, I'm grateful for the Presbyterian Church in, in the way that it helped you learn to love Jesus. Because I think sometimes we can fall, us Episcopalians can fall in love with the church sometimes before we fall in love with Jesus. Um, I've, I've, I've known several people that have had that experience. So I'm really grateful yes. that for the, for the Presbyterian Church that helped you fall in love with Jesus, because that's the most important part of all of this, right? Thank you. I'm, I really appreciate that. You've got the the ordering of that in in right relation there. Yes. <laughs> um, so it was a you know experience of God's faithfulness to me, you know, in leading me to the Episcopal Church. Um, at Fort at age twelve. Well, I, I was you know I, I left the church for a while and. And then, you know, it was, I think, 15 when I started, 14, Mm -hmm. 15 when I started going to the Episcopal Church. And then I'm sure you were heavily involved at the church and started learning about the liturgy or were you not? I I was not, actually, um, because I was kind of suspect, you know. Mm -hmm. know, (laughs) um, um, I couldn't be a member of the youth group because I had to be confirmed in the Episcopal Church. I mean, it was you know, back in the day kind of rules, you know, plus right. a, kind of an old timey rector. And mm-hmm. um, so, um, but lovely Cyril Hingston, who was the organist, um, invited me to join the adult choir, not the junior choir. And so that became um, the, the group of people that I spent the most time with. And I loved it. And um, I'd always been a singer and still do sing, and so um, that was a wonderful opportunity. That's, That's how how I learned about the liturgy was singing right. sacred music. And, yeah. I, and talk about that a little bit, Sarah, if you can, because I really haven't had anybody 
on here that's had that experience. So, you know, I feel like some of my choir members like understand the liturgy better than I do because they are singing this very sacred music. And that sounds like sort of the same experience you had. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And um, the hymnody, not only the, the liturgical music, but um, anthems and texts and how texts and music um, co-express one another. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I learned theology uh, as a teenager by singing hymns and um, and sacred music. That's awesome. I love that. So Sarah, when did you start feeling a call to ordained ministry? It, it was actually um, a one-time experience, although I had been wondering when I went off to college in the fall of 1969, the war of, uh, in Vietnam was going on, and um, I knew I wanted to serve God in some way, but I wasn't sure. I, the only models that there were for women at that time were uh, becoming a director of Christian education, and I didn't feel called to that, although I deeply revere um, those who serve in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't feel like that was who I am. And um, college was was challenging because most I was the one girl in my dorm who did not pledge a sorority. Mm-hmm. And but it it was not me, you know, to mm-hmm. do that. And um, so there was a sense of loneliness and also um, shaping, forming more of my identity. If that makes sense, sure. And um, within the context of living with all these people, and then at the end of my second year of college, uh, I was majoring in um, anthropology and archaeology, and I had the opportunity to go on an archaeology dig on an island off the coast of Maine. Um, the archaeology dig uh, director was uh, studying. Penobscot Indians, and I know that's not the correct term now, but that's what was that's what it was then. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. and um, so we were. Uh, anyway, I I went to chapel um, on the island on one Sunday, and I saw the priest, and I I just had this a moment of incredible clarity of like that's who I'm to be, mm. you know? and. Um, so Even wrote, though you had never seen a woman in that role, right? Still, because I think that's important. At this time, there were no women priests um, in the six, late sixties, early seventies. That wasn't a thing at all. Right. So I think that was so beautiful that you could picture yourself in that role, even though that wasn't a woman that was standing up in front of you, you know, um, and that you th- you knew that God was calling you. To that, you know, because I've had the privilege of having other women priests to look at before I was called into that, and you didn't have that. That's really brave of you, I think. Well, it's it's really it was God's claim upon my life because it was a sense of clarity of my identity in terms of how I lived out my relationships and my faith. Um, I was 
um, vigorously anti-war, but I was not a protester. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, I was engaged in nonviolent activity um, mm-hmm. here at home and also um, on campus. So uh, mm, it was it was God's gift to me. And so I wrote my friend Pat, who brought me into the Episcopal Church, I mean, whose invitation brought me in. And then he said, well, he wrote me back and said, this is by letter, you know, not by email right. or such thing. And he wrote, so you can't do that because there aren't women priests. So I thought, well, like, what's the problem? Yeah. I don't get <laughs> it. My naivete is, you know, yeah. is astonishing. I wrote the priest and asked to meet with him when I came home. And he said, well, you can't because women aren't. Then I went to the interim rector and I went to him and he said no you can't then the new rector came and um, I went to him all the while I'm looking into seminaries I'm continuing my junior year and so forth in, in college and the interim priest I mean the um, the new rector said well I see something in you and let's get an appointment with the bishop wow so um Again, the church didn't ordain women, but um, so he he was willing to take that next step with you, though, because he, he saw something within you. He well, did. God bless him. God, God did bless him, and God blessed me through him, and many other people through him. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, um, because of the where I am and was in the history of women's ordination in the Episcopal Church. It was uh, completely not an easy road. I don't mean academically, but, you know, relationally, community-wise. The um, um, people who were politically against right. their nation and fighting vigorously to prevent it and all that kind of stuff. But um, So I was approved as a postulant, which is the first step towards ordination. And, um, and then... A, a week or so later, I got a letter saying, uh, well, actually, you, you only kind of were approved as a postulant because the committee was not 100% in favor of it, but the bishop was willing to let you become a postulant and sort of kind of, let's see if this gal can prove herself sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're also very young at the time. I mean, I was. Twenty-one, right? I mean, very yes. young. Yes, and so, so um, uh, we had to have another meeting with the bishop and the, the committees, the commission on ministry and standing committee. And so, Jim Burney, my beloved sponsoring priest, and I met down in the chapel um, at the diocesan house, and we said prayers together. And when we stood up after we were on our knees, he put his hands on my shoulders and said. Sarah, God has called you to be a priest. Only God can take that away from you. Mm-hmm. Mary Balfour, I mean, mm. that, that, wow. that has held me, that has held me through the tribulations and the challenges and um, the times of just being disheartened and he saw something, he believed in me, and I try to be a good steward of what he gave me then 
Um, I mean, which was just such a life-giving gift. Um, by when I see something in someone to affirm that in the person and to help them know that I, I am beside them, I believe in them. And because we never know how we may be the only gospel a person will experience that whole day. That's amazing. And you do, you do that very well, Sarah. I have had the honor of being a part of that. I do want to ask you, so you did all this before you went to seminary. So, you know, you were going to seminary with the thought of, I'm going to be an ordained person, right? Yeah. Um, which some women I know went to seminary not knowing that, right? So I, I'm glad you had that gift because you said you were the first candidate, women, woman candidate in your diocese. What year was that? Sarah, do you remember? That was uh, 72 or 3, early 73. So, I mean, you really were one of the first women ordained in the Episcopal Church. I know you were not part of that. What what do we call it? I should know this. The 11 women ordained. The 11 women. But you were right after that. was right after Um, that, You know, and so we're talking to a woman who has given her life to be an ordained ministry. You gave everything to do this. And I just think that's so important to lift up and for us to recognize. Um, What you did made my process and thousands of other women who have come behind you freer, easier, more... um, affirming you did that for us and you didn't even know us. And to me, that's um, just a real gift. Well, you're lovely to say that. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, Mm -hmm. It, it gives me joy to know that um, there's been some meaning in the challenges that I faced. And I hope that it has been a bit easier, although I don't hear that it entirely is easier for other women um, I do want to say just one other thing about that journey be- when I was in seminary. I didn't know it was the fall of my last year of the three years of seminary when the general convention of the Episcopal Church voted about um, ordaining women as priests or not. Mm-hmm. So, um, so all that time, I, you know, I, you I weren't sure. Know. Yeah, I wasn't sure. sure. I mean, I knew I was called, but I didn't know if it was going to happen. If it was actually going to happen, and, and that's know, what I'm—that's what I'm talking about. That bravery and that courage of I'm going to step forward in this, being unsure of if it's actually going to happen or not, even though I know I'm called to do it. You know, it's just well, so you know. Beautiful. I saw a sign once that says, "Sometimes a leap of faith is the only visible means of transport." Mm, I love you that. know. Love so that. I mean, it was God had placed the claim on my life and I had to follow it. So, and you did, and you got ordained. There were three of you and you said that got women that got ordained, but let me skip forward a little bit. The first job call that you had, how did they accept you as a woman priest? Were they okay? Or was that hard? Or tell me about that. Um, well, it was, there was not a, a job after I finished seminary. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the bishop wouldn't let me or the other two women work in churches. Mm-hmm. So um, the men that were ordained deacon with us were given that opportunity, and we were mm-hmm. not. Um, so I made my living as a counselor at Planned Parenthood in Niagara Falls, and then um, after two years went to do pastoral counseling training in Toronto and then joined the staff of a pastoral counseling center. Mm-hmm. And that was the primary um, way that I um, lived my vocation really from from then. So 19th, I was ordained deacon in 77, priest in 78, and 79 is when I went to, to 81 to Toronto. And then uh, 81 um, until... 2014, when I came to the staff of Phoenix Village, I was primarily serving as pastoral counselor. Right. Did you get to do sacramental things, though, um, in those early days? Okay. Eventually. So, again, ordained priest in 78 and ordained, I mean, um, I I then was asked to go to a a very um, exurban, very rural, a really rural church, um, in 1982, mm-hmm. so there were quite a few years when I was not given that opportunity. Um, I bet that was really hard because you were was. ordained in, as a priest, and yet you didn't get to carry out the things that priests get to do that you felt called to do. It was very hard. Thank you for knowing that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and painful, and um. It was a wonderful experience serving that little congregation for um, 10 hours a week. And um, the church had had a, its previous priest had taken them down as a mission church, taken them from 60 members down to eight when I got there. And um, so I just learned, though, that, you know, whoever shows up, it's not about the number of people. Whoever shows up, they are hungry for the word of God. Yes. And for the bread of life and the cup of salvation. And so, you know, it, I did not skimp on my preparation thinking, well, it's just eight people. Right. No, no. I mean, it was just. And then, you know, since then, um, I've served a number of interim-ish mm-hmm. and interim positions. And I am a trained intentional interim Priest, but um, when I was appointed to serve as the priest in charge of the Episcopal Deaf Congregation in Buffalo and Western right. that was one of the great, great joys of my life. Learning sign language, learning to pray in sign language, being an advocate for this community um, who, you know, mostly lived in HUD housing and um, were faithful disciples of Jesus and um, needed loving. Um, and it was, it was a, an incredibly holy privilege. I love that you talked about that. And I was hoping you would, because um, that is a ministry that's in the Episcopal church. There are deaf churches throughout our country, but it takes a very special kind of person that can do that sort of ministry um, a, you have to know sign language and B, you have to have that heart, you know, and do you think that's when some of your um, like justice and outreach 
um, the, th- the things that really stir in your heart started to kind of show itself and made you want to do more of that work when you were working in the deaf church? Well, it certainly, um, you know, helped crystallize that, but mm-hmm. it's in my DNA. I it's mean, always been there. It, it's, yeah. it's who I am. It's who my parents were. Um, my parents were vigorous advocates for um, civil rights and paid prices for that. And um, so um, I come by it genetically. Yeah, it's who um, you are. Yeah. And then when Sarah and I got to know each other, she was serving as um, a chaplain at a senior living, an Episcopal senior living facility. And um, as we said, in Southern Pines, and that's a whole different kind of ministry, Sarah, right? You know, working with the elderly, making sure um, they are being fed later in life. And then a lot of holding hands when people are dying. I got the pleasure to do that with you a couple of times. Um, That's a, that's a, really hard ministry and you did it beautifully. Tell, talk about that a little bit, that experience. Well, thank you. Um, I just, I need to detour for a moment and just yes, detour away. And when I, when, and when I um, had a medical um, procedure done that was, was pretty significant, uh-huh. um, who was holding my hand? You, mm-hmm. Mary Balfour, bringing me food from the church and praying with me and, sitting with me and loving on me and bringing me a prayer shawl, which I still use. So unforgettable. Thank you so much. Big hugs. Thank you. You know, um, I, I loved serving as chaplain at Punic Village and I loved the residents and um, I still follow to see, you know, what's, mostly in the obituaries in the, the local um, yeah. paper. But um, actually, just to go back to the whole justice thing. Yeah, sure. There, one aspect is is that these are, it, it was except for one person in skilled nursing, is privileged white people mm-hmm. living there. And so easy for them to conceal their... Um, their sufferings and um, not find ways to give voice to it or not feeling it not it's not and in the south also it's you know right so I learned a lot when I moved to the south about that Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so helping people give voice to their own stories and seeking God in the midst of those but then in counterpoint to the privileged white people were um, and are the black and brown staff who are serving them. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I would hear residents talk about the help coming and, Mm -hmm. you know, miss, you know, in the dining Mm -hmm. room. And I tried to gently lead people to, now, is that Dequana? Yeah, let's no, learn that, names. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Um, so, um, yeah, your server's name is Shaniqua, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, all these names are too hard to say, you know, it's hard to remember them. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, yes, for those of us who are white, it is hard. They're not names that are familiar to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, 
if we do respect the dignity of every human being, then we are going to learn people's names and call them by their, their given name. I love um, that you did that, Sarah. And, and then, Beautiful. as you know, I led um, the community on a racial reconciliation pilgrimage to Washington, D.C. One resident gave um, $10,000 to allow 10 um, frontline staff, meaning like housekeepers, dining staff, um, um, nursing assistants, and so forth, um, to go on a pilgrimage to D.C. Um, with residents. And we went to the African-American uh, Museum of um, History and Culture. And we went to, and we had a lecture at Georgetown University with, uh, in the slavery archives with the professor of slavery, um, literature, um, and talked to us about Georgetown's, um, work at reconciling the Jesuits at Georgetown having sold 272 of their enslaved people, um, in order to beef up their coffers. So the justice work that they are doing at, at Georgetown and now other universities are doing when they realize that their their wealth was gotten on the backs of mm-hmm. enslaved people. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to Frederick Douglass's home in Anacostia, and we had very, very rich conversations and um you know, Sarah, I think that just proves that at any age you can learn and you can change and your heart can open. Um, and I'm so thankful you did that racial reconciliation work and, and didn't say, well, these are old people. They can't learn that, you know, or they can't change. You know, God can't work on them because that's just not true. Right. God can work on all of us at any time. Exactly. Um, I was really moved by how. Um, relationships were forged across staff and residents, um, across the color lines and how, what you might think, well, some of the older folks, they're not going to really be into it. Well, they were really eager to learn. It's wonderful. wonderful. Can I just tell one other story? Sure. Um, after we had been to the Smithsonian Museum, um, we were all in a a restaurant with round, big round tables, and one of the dining staff men was show. He was flipping through his phone and showing photos, and that he had taken in the museum. And when I was um, in college, there was a big, you know, movement um, that was "Black is Beautiful," and there was a poster in the museum that that is, you know. From that time, black is beautiful. And he took a picture of that. And um, he showed it to me and he said, look at this, Miss Sarah, look at this. I said, well, he had tears in his eyes and he said, I never knew that. Mm. Black is beautiful. Mm. And I wanted to say to the the benefactor, the first of the benefactors who had given the $10,000 to make this happen. I wanted to say, okay, well, you just got your $10,000 worth right there. Absolutely, right there. And I asked him, you know, what? Um, you're a black man and you're married to a brown woman. 
you have a mixed race child. What do you want them to know about this? And he, he said, I don't know. I've got to think about it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, so yes, the, the opportunity to keep learning of, because my goal was, you know, and it continues to be, you know, how did we get here? If we don't know the story that we all are part of, we can't, we can't do the healing work that we need. And so, um, you know, I was so thankful for that opportunity. Well, Sarah, I, the time goes so quickly and I didn't even get to, we didn't get to talk about really what you're doing now, but you are back in Buffalo and continuing to do justice work and outreach work and continuing to do sacramental work with people at St. Paul's cathedral. And, um, I just want to thank you for never being afraid, always stepping out to do what is right for God's people and always helping people learn and wanting to know people in a deep, deep way, the way that you and I have and the way you've affected many, many people. So I just want to say thank you. And thanks for sharing your voice today. It means a lot to me. So thank, thank you, you so much for the opportunity. And it's so wonderful to be with you. God continue to bless and prosper your vocation. Well, thank you. And listeners, as always, we love you. But most importantly, God does. 